So we started a new worship ser- series this morning called Win the Day. Say, Win the Day. Win the Say, Win the Day. And we've talked about this before, that it's hard to win the year, it's hard to win the month, it's hard to win the week, but we can probably win the day. And so the, the remainder of this series is going to really talk about how. And it's all in the book of Romans. And so whether you're a new Christian, you've never been to church, or you've been to church all your life, you can start reading the book of Romans. All these messages will actually come out of the book of Romans. But what I want to do this morning is different. I don't want to talk about how to win the day. That's incredibly important. I want to talk about why. If you were a fireman and you tell me how to change the smoke detectors in the house, that's great. I got it. But you tell me why the smoke detectors need to be checked and changed, that's a game changer. You tell me how I'm a little boy, I'm five or six years old. You tell me how to put on a life jacket, okay, I got it. You tell me why I should wear a life jacket as a little boy, it's a game changer. Somebody tells you how to save money, somebody tells you how to give money, somebody tells you how to live on 80% of your resources, that's fine. But somebody comes along and tells you why, why you want to save money, why you want to give money, why you want to live on 80% of your income, that's a game changer, the why. So I want to talk about the why today, and I want to use next week's Super Bowl as my springboard. Are you ready for this? Now, do most of you know that next Sunday is the Super Bowl? If you, don't, if you don't know that, that means you don't care. But just give me five minutes because there actually is a theological point and a purpose to this. Winning teams always draft well. And you all know this already in your life that the measure of your success is always determined by the people who are around you. And so how did these two teams get to the Super Bowl. Well, yes, they won more games than other people, and yes, it's it's a game of inches and seconds, and yes, they did well, but their organizations drafted really, really well. And their organizations didn't just start in the 2017 or the 2019 season. They began years and years and years ago dreaming and drafting how they could put together a team of people who would become superstars. So the Los Angeles Rams is one team, and you probably know, this is, their, I think, their best player, Todd, Todd Gurley. If you don't know who Todd Gurley is, he was drafted first. First round draft pick in 2015. So out of 2015, he was actually the 10th player who was taken in the first round draft. He's now the highest paid running back in the NFL. If you don't know who he is, I just happen to have a clip. Watch this clip of Todd Gurley. The Rams starting from their 29. Todd Gurley back in the game, and here's what the Rams wanted from him. Todd Gurley. Touchdown. Who's going to be the player to break out and be the spark? Try Todd Gurley. 71 yards for the touchdown. Never touched. And the Rams take the lead. So the reason I watch that is if I need to escape an elders meeting, I want to watch the moves that he has if I need to leave in an elders meeting sometime and get the heck out of Dodge. So Todd Gurley's obviously a superstar. They drafted well in 2015. Now everybody knows this guy, Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, booze. We've already had communion. Don't go there. But it's so interesting that he was in the sixth round 
of the draft, which means 198 players were drafted ahead of him in the year 2000. He was the 199th player who was drafted. And he wasn't drafted because of his speed. Watch him run the 40-yard dash at the combine. My grandmother can run faster than this. But here's what they said. We're looking for a guy with mental toughness. We're looking for somebody who can come alongside of Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe was only 28 years old when they drafted this young kid named Tom Brady. But now look at him. Empty set. See how the Panthers play. Four-man pressures. Brady going long and right. Beautiful throw, beautiful catch. Hogan for the touchdown. 33 yards. I just, I just want you to know it's really painful for me to show you some of those clips. I, being a Colts diehard fan, that's really painful. But it's the Super Bowl. You know that your success is determined by the people who are around you. So here's the youngest coach right now. If he wins next Sunday, he will be the youngest coach to win the NFL in the Super Bowl. But for that organization to continue to win, they must what? Draft well. And they must draft not just good players, but the, the right players. If this guy wins, and he, he's always got a smile on his face. He's so optimistic. He's so happy. I mean, he's just happy to be around. If this guy wins, he will be the oldest coach to win the Super Bowl next week. So here's my whole point to this. Your success is always determined by your ability to draft well. Who is in your life? We, We know this. We know this is true with our favorite restaurant. Why is your favorite restaurant your favorite restaurant? What does that restaurant do better than all the other restaurants that you go to? Somebody's hired a chef that cooks food the way you like it. Somebody's figured out how to have the right amount of noise, the right amount of light, the right amount of traffic, the right culture. I don't know that you have a favorite hospital. I don't know that anybody sits around and goes, I've got a favorite hospital. But if you've got to go to the hospital, there are hospitals in our area that you would like more than other hospitals. And why is a hospital that you like better than a hospital that you don't like? Because somebody's thought through the organization on nurses, doctors, staffing, culture, systems. Somebody's thought through all this. And so when it comes to life, how do we win the day? No, 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 no. Why? Why is it that we want to be winners? Why has God drafted you? Why has God called you to be a part of his amazing body called the body of Christ? And, and so we, we all kind of know this. We, we kind of think through this even with our friends. Because I've said this for years, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Right? Say that with me. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. It certainly works in marriage. Your marriage partner will, will make or break you in life, right? So it was about three years ago, Emily was dating Andrew Norris. And she called me up, and she said, they just started dating maybe a month or two, and she said, Dad, do you like him? And I thought, my gosh, I don't like anybody's dating my daughters, you know. (laughs) 
And I thought, how do I answer that? And I said, I said, Emily, let's have a different conversation. Yes, I like Andrew. But I think, I think the question is not, do I like Andrew? I think the question I'd like to, to talk about is, do you make Andrew a better man? Does Andrew make you a better woman? Because Emily, whoever you marry, you're on an adventure. You have an anointed adventure. You have a divine mission. And so it's not whether you, I like him or not. I do like him. But the more fundamental question is, do you make each other better for the mission that God has called you to? It was five years ago when the eldership of our church decided to build a wedding chapel. And we decided to build a wedding chapel as the carrot, the stick, that would help brides to see how gorgeous the room was so we could do equipping, equipping, equipping sessions. And so that's the whole genius of the wedding chapel is, yes, there's a fee to get married there, which is still cheap, but all the the equipping sessions and all the mentoring is absolutely free. And we do all of that because we want to change the trajectory of marriage in the state of Florida, hopefully the United States, and maybe even the world. It's a vision that God has given to us. And so the very first lesson is with the pastor. And the pastor talks about the big why. Why did God create marriage? And then the marriage mentors take over and do the whole, the next six sessions, and the next six sessions are all on how, how to communicate, how to confront each other, how to do finances. They're all on how. But the first lesson is the pastor does the big why. Why did God create marriage? And in that first lesson, there's five different reasons why God created marriage. And someday I may do this on a Sunday morning. But the fifth one, the fifth reason that God created marriage is so that you would contribute. God wired you to contribute. God wired you to have an adventure larger than yourself. I have married over 600 couples. I have a front row seat to what works and to what does not work. I'm going to tell you there's two primary reasons why people get a divorce. There are some ancillary reasons, but there are two primary reasons why a couple gets divorced. Every couple I've ever married has been in love. Of 600, I'm 600 for 600 who's come into my office somewhere, we've met at a Starbucks somewhere, which is my real office, and we'll meet there, and they will be absolutely head over heels in love with each other. But the two primary reasons why a couple gets a divorce is lack of skills. That's the first one. They don't have the skills. And somebody says, well, we've been married 20 years. We've got 20 years of experience. No, you may not. You may have two years of experience 10 times over. And so our whole goal with marriage mentoring and the whole ministry is equip, equip, equip. And we say this. We don't just do weddings. We equip people for marriage. But the second reason. The second primary reason why people get a divorce is they do not have a mission bigger than themselves. They do not have an anointed adventure. Couples get married and it's all about the house, the car, the vacations. It's all about them, 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 them. And if you do not have an adventure bigger than yourself... An adventure that only God Almighty can accomplish through you, you will get bored. You will get bored. And that's when temptation comes knocking on your door. 
I don't just know this. I, I have experienced this firsthand with hundreds and hundreds of people. And, and so the whole goal then is for you to have this amazing mission that's bigger than your life that must require the power of God to accomplish through you. I'm so impressed with Joseph, Mary and Joseph. I didn't get to preach on all the stuff I was learning at Christmas time, but man, I was so impressed with Joseph. How does Joseph marry Mary and not consummate that marriage until after Jesus is born? How do you do that? The only way you do that is you have a mission that's bigger than yourself. How do you take a 90-mile dangerous journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem and then help deliver a baby boy that's not even yours? You have to have a mission bigger than yourself. And how do you endure all that ridicule from family and friends that, yeah, right, she's impregnated by the Holy Spirit. You've been smoking something. You know, how do you do that? How do you do that? You have to have a mission that's bigger than your life. And how do you get up in the middle of the night and run like a dog to get out of that town because Herod's coming with his soldiers and you escape to Egypt and the dream by the angel tells you to go, go, go. You have to have a mission bigger than yourselves. And how do you raise a stepson who will flat out change the world? Do you have a mission? How are you going to change the world? You were designed to change the world. You were never designed to have a life where the arrows point in. You were designed to have a life where the arrows go out. How are you going to change the world? How does Abraham, at 100 years old, take his only son, it's not like he's going to have any more kids, and, and endure the test at Mount Moriah. He thought he was going to have to sacrifice him. He had a mission that was bigger than himself. How does Noah build an ark? Do you realize that Noah had never seen rain? It had never rained. God watered the earth from the underground springs. Noah builds an ark for 125, 120 years, 120 years before he ever sees rain. You must have a mission that's bigger than yourself. How are you going to change the world? Who are you going to love? Who are you going to sponsor? Who are you going to foster? Who are you going to adopt? What are you going to build? What are you going to make? What are you going to give? What are you going to do? Do you have an anointed adventure? The answer is, if you're a believer, yes, you do. Now, whether you tap into that divine mission or not, that's what I'm trying to sell and motivate and drive you to today. Because I've watched this now for 35, 36 years. And whether you're single or married, it doesn't matter. You can be single and life can be about you. But what's your mission? Everyone in this room has an anointed adventure to live. What's yours? Well, I think that you must start with drafting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I think if you draft anybody or any other path or any other pattern, you will, you, you will never reach the heights to what you were called to. And so I, I'm encouraging you, if you haven't, to, to draft, to draft really well. He's a first-round draft pick, and his name is Jesus. And he's called the Savior of the world. 
And so as we jump into Romans chapter 6, verse 2, here's really why you want to win the day. We are those who have died to sin, and then how can we live in it any longer? And the point is that he's going to make for us today is that as believers, if you live in sin, you will never accomplish your adventure. If sin continues to distract you and derail you and delay you, your, your godly mission that you've been designed and destined to accomplish, you, you will never be able to do that which God wants you to do. And so if you're single or married and life's about you, eventually you're just going to be so discouraged and so disappointed because you know there's more. You know there's more. You know there's more. It's aching within your heart for more. And so what Paul wants us to understand is that when you become a Christian, (coughs) it's possible for you to now walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and not allow sin to distract you and to derail you. And so, I mean, we could just stop and camp out right here in this verse. I got a bunch more verses, but we could just camp out right here for the rest of the morning. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so then this is where it gets confusing. And I'm going to read these verses because these are quoted then that says, well, you know what? I'm just a sinner. I'm always going to be a sinner. That which I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. And the whole point of that section of scripture in Romans chapter seven is that there's an answer. There's a breakthrough. The people who continue to sin and do what they don't want to do, it's called humanism and and naturalism, and they're the kind of people who are still living, he calls it, under the law. So watch this. So pay attention to this very carefully. Are are you doing okay? Do you need a donut? The fast is about over. Are you okay? All right, hang with me right now, all right? Are you with me? All right, hang with me. Here we go. This is the part of Scripture that he's trying to explain is for people who aren't Christians. This is the part of Scripture for people who aren't living under God's power of the Holy Spirit. So he says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who does it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. See, he's talking about the sinful nature. But when you become a Christian, you don't have a sinful nature. I'm not saying you can't sin. I'm just saying you don't have a sinful nature. That sinful nature was nailed to a cross. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good. He's out. This is a person who's not a Christian. But I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. But it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. From my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Now that would be so discouraging if it stopped right there. Why become a Christian? Why try to live an adventure? Why have a mission if I can't ever accomplish what God's called me to do? If I'm trapped, if I can't ever get out of this, why in the world would I keep coming to church? And I think you have an adventure because you get out on a Sunday morning when it's raining. That's amazing to me. Now, here's the answer. He asks the question, who will 
rescue me from this. I don't want to live this way. I don't want to be this way. I want to be free. Who will rescue me? And here's his answer. The wind-up, here's the pitch. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is, there is freedom and there is victory. And why you want to win the day and why you want to kill the roots of sin and why you want to destroy that same stuff that keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. You know why it keeps coming back? You haven't killed the roots. The roots got to be killed. You kill the roots, it, it can't come back. You chop off that weed and you don't get the roots, it comes back. Everybody in the room gets that. We've all had to do that a thousand times, pulling weeds or a tree that we never got the roots at, right? So here's this whole point. Let's go back to Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Here's this whole point. Don't you know? See, this is meant to be encouraging. That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father... We too may live a new life. And so when you get baptized, and we've had hundreds of beach baptisms, when you get baptized, you are saying that I'm going to die to myself, just like Jesus died. And I'm going to bury my sins away. And at and, and that moment then, I'm going to, just like Jesus, I'm going to rise to a brand new life. If it's not a new life, if I keep doing what I don't want to do, and I do what I don't want to do, and I can't figure out what I'm supposed to be doing, then it's not a new life. And if it's not a new life, you'll never change the world. And you were destined to change your world. You were destined to change your family and your neighborhood and your apartment complex and your community. We were destined to change our worlds. So he says, we were buried. We buried with him. Our sins died. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. Power. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Now, I'm not saying you can't sin. I'm just saying you don't have to sin. Actually, I'm not saying it. Paul's saying it. I'm not saying that you won't sin. I'm just saying it's unnatural for you to sin now as a believer. That's a different way of thinking, isn't it? It is a completely unnatural way for you because the Holy Spirit is now living inside of you. Are you still with me? Or you wish you'd have slept in right now this morning? So we're no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin, and that's what your baptism did, symbolically. Your baptism, you died, you buried, you rose to a brand new life. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. This is the adventure. This is the whole point about your godly adventure. One of our staff had a birthday about uh, three or four weeks ago, and Anita and I were invited to the party, so we're there, and it wasn't a staff couple, but another couple that had been invited stopped me and said to me, hey, can you help us, like, with our marriage? Do you have any ideas for our marriage? Um, we've just had four of our uh, couples, four couples, that have, are all going through a divorce. These are our friends, and all four couples are going through a divorce. You know, my first question was, do they have an adventure? Do they have a mission? And the answer was no. Not one 
of these four couples were living above the grid, outside of themselves, for something else or for somebody else. You see, you were designed to change the world. You were designed to have an anointed adventure. You were designed to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, which means miracle after miracle after miracle with your adventure. And by the way, if you are married and you're very different, as Danita Danita and I are in a lot of ways, when you have an adventure bigger than yourself, you don't have time to fight and squabble over little things. You don't have the energy either, but you don't have the time to fight and squabble over that because you have an adventure that's bigger than yourself. That's what Paul's trying to say. That's what Paul's trying to encourage you. Paul's trying to get these people to sow the seeds in their families, in their communities, all around them. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's a verse I would screenshot. That's a verse I would put somewhere on the refrigerator, the bathroom mirror. This is a section of scripture this week. I'm going to encourage you to play in your car, Bluetooth, whatever, again and over and over again to catch this. Count yourselves what? Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Why? Why? Because you're on a mission. If you're single, you're on an adventure. If you're married, you have a divine mission that you're to accomplish. Do not offer any parts of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. I heard one preacher say, he gets up every day and he quotes this verse. And every day this preacher says, sin is no longer my master, I am under grace. Sin is not my master, I'm under grace. Sin is not my master, I'm under grace. I thought that was pretty good. That's something that maybe we ought to embrace. I'm using this as an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. And just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness. In other words, to your adventure, to the mission that you have leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. I I, want to pray for you this morning. I'm burdened for you, and I'm burdened for me. And, And I'm burdened that we, first of all, realize that every single man in this room, every single woman in this room, Every widow, every widower, every married couple is bigger than you. It's so much bigger than you. And you're on an adventure. And how do we change the world? Just like the way we win the day. I don't think I can win the year mentally. I don't think I can win the year monthly. I don't think I can even win the week. 
I don't think I can. But I can get up early this morning and read some scripture and have prayer and spend some time with God. I had a beautiful fire last night. I had fire in the fireplace. We don't get a lot of fires, do we, here in Florida. But last night was a good night for a fire. And, and, and I, I started texting my area pastor bro- brothers around here. I'm texting Willie Rice from Calvary. I'm letting Willie know I'm praying for him. I'm texting Pastor Q at the chapel. These guys are friends of mine, Pastor Q and Willie. At 9.30 last night, we're all on, the cell, on our phones praying for each other and texting each other, loving each other, encouraging each other. Because we're on an adventure. And how do we do this? We, we, we win it one prayer at a time, one kid at a time. What, one moment at a time, one decision at a time. And so I, I, I know that if I struggle with this, I know you have to. It's on my mind all the time. And it has to be on yours as well. So why do we want to win the day? There is so much at stake. There is so much at stake in your family, among your friends, your children. There's so much at stake among your businesses, your places of employment. There's so much at stake. And so, for those that are Christians, what he is saying is, we are dead to sin, but we are alive to Jesus Christ. Will you join me in prayer? I, I just want to pray for you. I got, I got some more praying to do, so I'm not done praying. And it's still raining, so you're not going anywhere. So let's just let's pray together, all right? The power of those words. The sin does not have to be our master. We're under grace, which is power, which is power. Lord, I I love my friends in this room. I love this church. I love coming to church. I love everything about this. I love music. I love communion. I even like offering. I, I like all this. I like meeting people and talking to old friends, meeting brand. I, I, I love what you're doing in church. And so individually and collectively, we are to be set free from sin and live victorious, godly adventures for you. Now, I, I don't know how that applies to everyone in the room, but I know it's not one size fit all. Holy Spirit, Speak to each one of us right now. Speak to every one of us about our context and our culture. And get rid of any stinking thinking in our lives, in our brains. And let us cling to the scriptures, which are truth. That we are no longer slaves, as we sang just a few minutes ago. And so we say yes. We say yes to the mission that you've called us to. We say yes to the adventure. It's an anointed adventure. It's not just an adventure. It's anointed. It's separated. It's set apart. It's been heaven has crafted this adventure a long time ago. May we live it. May we embrace it. May every single man, every single woman in this room embrace his and her mission. May every student, every widow, every widower, every 
that are married couple, may we all embrace the mission that you've called us to. May, may these scriptures from Romans just permeate our souls. Now, folks, if you would, look on the screen. And I got one more verse. And this is for those of you that haven't yet given your life to Christ. It's a simple verse. It's got consequences. And see, before we come to Christ, we got this sin issue, this sin problem. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I'm going to ask all of us to stand up. I'm going to ask all the prayer partners to come down front. And if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray this simple prayer, and you pray it inside your heart and inside your mind. And if you gave your life to Christ, if you would, come down, tell one of the prayer partners, and let them pray over you. But for those of you that said, you know what, I I don't know. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I've ever done this or not. Here's your chance. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to acknowledge that there's a sin problem, but there's a Savior. There's a Savior who's taken away the sins of the world. So pray with me, those of you. Just pray in your heart, pray in your mind. Lord Jesus, I know in a room this size, there's probably many people who aren't sure, or maybe they are sure they've never done it. So right now, Lord Jesus, let them pray this prayer in their minds, in their wills, in their emotions, in their spirit. Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life to cover all my sins, my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior, as my Lord. I give my life to you. You are the King. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. You are the Redeemer. And I worship you today. Thank you for letting me give my life to you. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. Now show me my my adventure. Now help me change the world in which I live. Now help me with my divine mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good day. God bless you. God bless you.